Parenting may be one of the hardest things to do in the entire world. Many a therapy session is spent deconstructing and uncovering internalized childhood traumas, some at the hands of the very people meant to protect us from harm, whether intentional or more than likely not. With so many different people and so many different philosophies on parenting, it's hard to know the right way to handle things. And so it might be easier to just punt this issue and make it someone else's problem. But who's? Today, we're tapping into these questions and these ideas and more as we ask the question, Megan, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boyd Diaz. I'm Seth Crow. And I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, Megan, how you doing today? Swell. Swell, you say. Ooh. I'm good. You're doing good. How was everybody's week? Sorry, I'm letting Nora out of the room. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're not Nora. Uh, I'll start. My week was good. I let's see, what did I do this since we? Uh, I uh, did some uh, a play reading with a, a theater company that I work with. That was fun. Uh, played some Magic: The Gathering on Sunday, and nice. playing some more tonight. I've been nice. playing a lot of Magic lately. A few people that I I do theater with also play Magic, and so like we've been playing on a weekly basis. It's pretty great. They they hate my decks as much as you do, Seth. Oh yeah, yeah. Megan, how how far into nerd culture have you been? <laughs> I I'm I don't know which which genre of nerd culture. I mean, have you ever played an RPG? <laughs> no, I think my my um I am a big pop culture nerd, but um I don't know about anything beyond movies. That's folks. So, like, what kind of like IP stuff did you like when you were a kid? Were you like a dolphin kid? Were you like a a dolphin kid? Yeah. I, when did dolphins become an IP? <laughs> That's an IP. Like, <laughs> I don't think dolphins are intellectual you property, like, buddy. Like a horse girl, like a Lisa Frank. I call that IP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a like a Lisa Frank horse. Were you a Lisa Frank horse girl? <laughs> I I just read a lot. I don't. I read a lot. That was like my okay. thing. Were you a Harry um, Potter girl? I didn't. I, I really. I didn't read Harry Potter. I did watch Harry Potter. What about Twilight? Are you a Twilight, Twilight person? Uh, in secret, I was a Twilight person. I didn't mm. like fully um, admit that to anyone until I was, you know, Good way past it. But I did watch the first movie. I was in like ninth grade, tenth grade when that came out. So I watched the first movie, and then I was like, "This is great. I have to read all the books." And then I did. <laughs> That's what you came away with. This is great. Uh, I stand by Twilight. The first one is a fun. Fun watch. I think that's um, the worst one of them all. Oh no, it's the most fun. Oh, um, yeah, I was, I was into that. I don't know. I was really into Buffy. Mm, I was really okay. Into okay, that's, uh, that's a Buffy person. Yeah, yeah. Buffy. Uh, not so much into Angel. Um, oh, it's acquired charmed, taste. Charmed? I don't think charmed. Yeah, but I don't think it's a. It's not not terrible, but it doesn't hold up as well as Buffy does. That's true. Um, My sisters and I watch Charmed, so it, yeah. You're, but you're right; it doesn't hold up as well. Yeah, I was big into. Oh God, you know what I was really into? Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the John and Hank Green YouTube era. Yeah, I was in that. I was reading John Green like. I don't know what that is. Oh, John Green, the the internet personality slash author who wrote uh, "Fault in Our Stars" and 
and paper like towns and, and all that stuff. Um, so I was really into that, like YouTube um, book stuff. And cool. I don't know. Wow. Well, you're Firefly. So, so she's not quite oh, cool. as nerdy as us. Okay. okay. All right. We're going to corrupt her. It's going yeah. to take some time. We'll whittle her down. We're going to create well, a. We're into this stuff, but I just never, I haven't been um, absorbed into it yet. So I'm not sure that that'll ever happen i respect it we're gonna create a what's it about magic the gathering league <laughs> we just lost all our viewers thanks, nope. thanks Ricky. <laughs> look this show is about being ourselves it's about just yeah, like yeah. unapologetically who we are that's a big part of who we are it i'm has sorry been really nice i'm sorry i'm not sorry <laughs> seth uh. and i when he lived here would play magic together every monday every monday i'd go down to his house and we'd play and like it was like a ritual we'd get dinner together with sarah we'd usually watch a movie but like we would also spend like the early part of the day while sarah was at work playing magic and it was some of my favorite times here in la because it was just it was great it was great it was awesome here's the thing here's the thing the reason we do this now is (laughs) is is because magic inherently is a very competitive game there's just if the people that play it, they take it very seriously and it just gets intense. So Ricky and I would hang out and we would just be pissed off at each other. Just like <laughs> angry. But fun though. Fun pissed off. Yeah. And then, you know, that's all we would do. And so this is the evolution of the magic meetings. So like this this Friendly. is this is, you know, we're we're actually I think growing as people. So that yeah. we can do every week and we don't leave angry. We, we, we leave, you know, like refreshed and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's probably better for your friendship. In the long <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> it's fun. No, it's a blast. But yeah, it, I'll say it's been nice having another group of friends where it's like, Hey, like let's come play magic together. And it's like four of us and, or five of us. So like, it's a big pod. So the games get pretty crazy. I yeah. warp world with four with five, a pot of five. That was awesome. Fuck, dude. Yeah, it was insane. Megan's <laughs> like, what does that mean? I know. I just had to say it. But anyway, so my week's been good. <laughs> just that's just to say my week's been good because I've been again as I I just want to like keep tabs on what, something I said in the show is that I'm working to be more social. I'm working to put myself out there more in a social way, and um, so. Uh, I am doing that by, you know, some friends are like, Hey, I play magic. Let's get together and play magic. I said, let's do it. It's become a weekly thing. Um, other friends, uh, I was, uh, I was helping them with the theater company, like clearing out the space. And then one of them was like, Hey, Megan's showing in an hour. Do you want to go see Megan? And I was like, that's so crazy. I had to go see Megan this week. So like I went with a group of, a group of friends, uh, and it was really cool to see it in that communal way. So it's cool. Yeah, I, I think this movie is a good movie to see in theaters. Yeah, I agree. Yes. So do you guys have anything about your weeks you want to share before we talk about Megan? No. Uh, Apparently, my life is more exciting than no, everyone else's. <laughs> I, well, I've got my best friend's wedding in um, two days. God, two days. Oh. Uh, so I've been working on my maid of honor speech mm. and um, making sure I have everything ready to go for that. Do you want to and, test it out with the audience here? Yeah. It's like a, I no, I don't. <laughs> I'm so scared to even give it to people who I like, I know what I'm looking at. 
So, um, yeah, I've been mostly working on that. I went to go see, I, I have a Belcourt membership now, which is like the local theater uh, here. And so that I've been excited about that. And I used it for the first time to see Women Talking last night. Yeah. Which they just announced the Oscar nominations. So that was, um, that had been on my list anyway, but I was like extra um, into seeing it. And it was heavy. I've um, heard, I've heard, I listened to a podcast recently where they were talking to the, the writer and the director of, of that movie. And from mm-hmm. what I understand about the movie, yeah, it's pretty heavy. It's yeah. It's so, so good, but it was, um, I, I feel kind of like I'm still holding it today and I'm sure I'll be thinking about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was beautiful. It was hard to watch, but, um, important. And I just kind of spent the whole movie crying. Um, just quietly. <laughs> so that's it. I mean this to be a rave review. It's not really coming off that way, but no, it, was very mo- it sounds like an emotional catharsis. Yes. No, it's exactly what it was. Yeah. It it's was a good thing. It was really, we, really we celebrate good. emotional catharsis on this show. Yes. Yeah. Seth, I think you're muted, buddy. I said, I hadn't even heard of this movie. Women talking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Definitely Google it. I won't go into it um, here because it's just, I think, just talking about it is, is kind of a heavy thing. Although I think it's important to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think you should see it. Yeah, anyone out there who hasn't seen it um, uh, but has heard of it, it, I think, if I remember correctly, I think the writer said it's based on a true story. I think so. It's like like the, the this movie is not the way it happened. Like it's in a different location. It's in a different time period. But the situation – allegedly had happened. I think if I remember hearing that, I think it's it it Bolivia I, or something like that. It happened in Bolivia yeah, in the community. Somewhere, somewhere very different. Um, I have only listened to like one or two interviews with her and that was a while ago, a while before seeing the movie. So I can't remember, but that mm-hmm. sounds, that sounds like I think I that's, uh, if I'm wrong, I, I apologize, but I think I remember that's what they said, that it was based on a true event that they then adapted in a different place in time. And, but the situation did happen kind of thing just any movie about i think it was also a lot about i mean it's called women talking so it's obviously about conversations but any movie about language is like already gonna get me like it already kind of makes me emotional Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, and this one was i think a lot about the different ways women communicate and it's you know either like through actual conversation or through like you know moments of like physical bonding or through song or through moments of silence or art it was just it was really beautiful Awesome. Uh, a, a small mini What's It About recommendation from Megan. Yeah. Women Talking. Please go check it out. And I think that yeah, movie we're Yes, today. very different. Um, and I, you said it got, an, it got some nominations, did it? I believe it's nominated for Best Picture, I, I, I think. Awesome. I was really surprised by some of those nominations. I haven't that checked them out yet. So we'll see. You, you what? I haven't checked them out yet, but apparently I hear my, my Year of Dicks got nominated. Oh, did or something. <laughs> I haven't looked at all the categories. I've only looked at Best Picture so far. No. Everything, everywhere, oh. all at once got a yes, it did. Nod, which yeah. we a all, favorite of the show. You know, yeah, I love that so. movie. Really good. I'll, hopefully, it wins at least like maybe like the, a writing one because that writing for that movie must have been. I think it could win Best Picture. It could. I think it could. I kind of want, I don't even know if Banshees of Ina Sharon is nominated for writing. I know it's nominated for Best Picture, but I kind of want. That one to win for. Writing. I heard that one's pretty good too. Oh, it's so good. That's a in Bruges. Yeah, it's on yeah. my list. It's on my list for sure. Wow, Top Gun got nominated for Best Picture. Of course it did. 
Triangle of Which Sadness. One? Top Gun. Oh. Yeah, Top Gun. Uh, Elvis, I was kind of surprised by. Yeah, I don't know. They, they remember, like, they were like, okay, we're going to start including more mainstream films in the top. And okay. So, yeah, like, right. it's not going to win, but yeah. it's, they have to nominate, they're trying to nominate more blockbusters. Right. So. I was surprised Avatar was in there. I didn't really, I don't know anybody who loved the new Avatar. So, I haven't seen it, but it surprised me. Looking for the writing stuff because I'm curious. Uh, Banshees did get nominated for best original Ooh. screenplay. So did Triangle Sadness. I haven't seen that. It's great. Interesting. Interesting. Anyway, this is not what we're here to talk about. We're getting distracted, which actually kind of goes along with this movie a little bit. Uh, yeah. we're today we are talking about Mithrigan. I'm sorry, Megan. <laughs> uh, today we are talking about Megan, uh, is, uh, a sci-fi thriller. Uh, a film from Blumhouse um, that came out in December. Uh, Seth, this was your pick. Uh, we kind of touched on why you picked it last time, but please, for anybody who didn't listen to our last episode, please uh, enlighten us. Why did well, you choose Megan? Well, this podcast is about how art reflects life. And, you know, right now we have added Megan to the <gasps> podcast and it just, it felt like it lined up, you know? And, you know, there is an element of, I think it's important to look yourself in the mirror. And this podcast was intended to welcome our new host, but at the same time, see what she sees in the mirror. Mm. You think she sees herself in Megan? She's a reflection of me. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily a reflection exactly but with your name on the with your name on the screen there's inevitably going to be some you know so they did megan a lot they said <laughs> megan a lot yeah they did yeah oh my god yeah that's fair there are a whole lot of ricardo movies there's being the ricardos which is that show that came out not too long ago but but that's being the Ricardos because that's their last name. So mm. I don't know. Seth, how many Seth movies are there? Not a lot. Not uh, a lot. I mean, I don't I, think every... of super bad. Super yeah. bad has a Seth. Yeah. So yeah, can... that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Seth, you picked Megan to simultaneously Crack open Eight. our new co-host and and also traumatize and terrorize her. That's fine. No, no <laughs> trauma. I mean, I, there's no never. I never intend to traumatize with anything. <laughs> Good. Yes, I I, I I am trying. I am trying to. I am trying to get to know you. We're trying to get to know you with this movie. Okay. That's that's. That and the- and to be fair to Seth and every, to our listeners out there, Seth and Megan work together, and Megan specifically said that she did not want to see this movie because it's gonna she's gonna she I think she said quote it's gonna ruin her life for the next year or something like that. I could feel the jokes starting. I could see it coming. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but like we work, Megan and I work together, and now she is like on my pod on our podcast mm. and but like we i don't think you and i have really ever hung out other than at work maybe yeah. like ian's wedding 
Yeah. We went out one time uh, after work once. Uh-huh. But like we, we've had very few like conversations, you know? So like we have like them in passing. Yeah. But when you're at work, like when you're at, when you're a waiter, like you have, you say like six sentences and then you have to stop the conversation because you have to like let somebody in the door or go seat them or like right. attend to a table. And so like your conversations become like these syncopated, broken things that very rarely are completed. So right. I, we want I want to get to know you better. Like, I don't know much about you, you know, like, I don't, yeah. even, I don't even know what IP you were into as a kid, you know? <laughs> Again, guys, I think I need to... <laughs> Stress here. I don't think anyone owns the intellectual property that is dolphins. I don't think anyone owns the concept of Have dolphins. you ever seen a rainbow dolphin, Ricky? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they are their own IP. There's a I, <laughs> I will say, I uh, and maybe this will maybe I'll surprise myself and and you guys, but I think you in the last two episodes probably learned more about me than this movie will reveal. I didn't really. Oh, we'll see. see. Oh, okay. We'll see. That's the thing. You never know on this podcast someone, where things might go. Like, you know, Thelma and Louise is a big piece of my my heart, my formative years. So that was a big one. That's a fair point. We did learn a lot about Megan through Thelma yeah. and Louise. It should be called Thelma, Louise, and Megan. I agree. <laughs> that's the sequel. I just want Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon to be best friends with me. And I don't think that that's too much My to God, ask. God, that would be amazing. They seem cool. awesome. Both of them so seem cool. awesome. I know. Anyway. Gina Davis, come on the show. Gina Davis, oh my God. Susan Sarandon, come yeah. on the show. We're, I'm manifesting this. Please. We've watched two Gina Davis movies. I mean, two of her big ones too. So, I mean, throw Beetlejuice in there and gosh, we hit the Gina Davis t- trifecta. Oh, I love Beetlejuice. Who's gonna be who's gonna be our first celebrity host? Post Malone. Okay. That's <laughs> Post Malone. Because we talk about Magic the Gathering Magic a lot, and he's he's got his own Magic the Gathering card now. Has he? Yeah, they made him into a card. Official. So who would your dream celebrity host be? My dream okay. celebrity. Ooh. Guest dream celebrity guest host. Dream celebrity? Yeah. Oh man. Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I would lose my mind. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sure she has so much to say about movies. I bet she does. <laughs> no, I think she does. She did that interview. She did that, um, for, I think it was a variety interview with Martin McDonough. Like the two of them talked and it was really interesting. I don't know. I Honestly, if any celebrity would, I, w- I would be interested to pick the brain of any celebrity. So I don't, I don't have a dream celebrity because honestly, any one of them would be a dream, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I'd, be, I'd be very honored to have any of them come on. So, and you're both celebrities. Anyway, let's talk about Megan. <laughs> so, uh, right, real quick, real quick. So, all this week before I saw the film, uh, I would always say to Sarah, "I was like, we got to go see Megan on on Monday." And like, it got her like three times. She's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Why are we going to go see Megan?" And I'm like. <laughs> Sarah, you know, it was your idea. It was your idea. So that's funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 But again, it's fitting that we're we're so distracted in this episode because that's we'll talk about it later. But it's I think it goes in line with this movie the fact that we are kind of off the rails a little bit, which is interesting. Uh, but anyway, 
so yes, yeah, so let's talk about how Megan came to be. What is the the genesis of this movie? Give us a little bit of context for it uh, and kind of just let us know the background. Uh, so this movie was directed by Gerard Johnstone. Gerard Johnstone only has one other feature film to his credit, which is Housebound, uh, another like horror kind of thriller movie. But he's also directed episodes of The Jackie Brown Diaries, uh, Terry Teo, and The New Legends of Monkey. Uh, and this movie was written by Akila Cooper. Uh, or Akella Cooper. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. But uh, Cooper has also written the films Hellfest, Malignant, and the upcoming The Nun 2, as well as episodes of Tron Uprising, Grimm, Witches of East End, The 100, American Horror Story, Luke Cage, Avengers Assemble, Chambers, Jupiter's Legacy, and Star Trek uh, Strange New World. And she'll be showrunning the upcoming HBO Max series, Monster. So... Quite the up-and-comer, Akella Cooper. Um, and a lot of Blumhouse stuff in there, too. Um, so, the story of Megan begins in a place that many horror films these days have in common. From the mind of horror icon, James Wan. In a familiar horror genre tag team, Wan and Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions team up again to bring us yet another small-budget horror hit. This being the same team behind the Insidious franchise, the Conjuring franchise, and all of its spinoffs, and the truly bizarro film Malignant. As told by James Wan and Blum themselves during one of their many brainstorming sessions in the mid to late 2010s, the concept of a killer doll movie arose. However, Blumhouse already had something in the realm of evil dolls in the Annabelle franchise. So why make another? Well, they pointed out that most of these evil doll movies, the, the doll itself is usually possessed by something, whether that be a psychotic spirit of a serial killer or simply a malicious demon. Uh, but is that all that this niche subgenre can do? Perhaps not, they thought. After de developing the idea some more, Juan and Blum brought in emerging horror screenwriter Akella Cooper to write the screenplay. Cooper, having already written for Juan on his last project, Malignant, already had a strong relationship with Juan and a good grasp of his voice and sensibilities. Not long after, Juan and Blum brought in director Gerard Johnstone to helm the film, and principal photography was set to begin in 2018. Did I just say 2018? Yeah, I did. While Megan was meant to go into production five years ago, as is the case with Hollywood, it ended up taking another three years for Megan to actually begin principal photography. And although maybe coming along a little bit later than anticipated, Megan had a massively successful marketing campaign that effectively captured the attention of social media. And when it finally arrived in theaters in December of 2022, it was a smash success. Megan has already grossed over $125 million worldwide and counting on a $12 million budget, while also receiving wide critical acclaim with a surprising 94% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The success of the film was so overwhelmingly positive, and the producers were so pleased with it that Juan and Blumhouse have already begun developing a sequel to the film entitled Megan 2.0. Tentatively slated to come out in 2025 with Cooper returning to write and Johnstone currently in talks to once again direct. It seems to me that this little robot girl may indeed be bulletproof. And if you've seen the movie, you'll get it. <laughs> and that's the story of Megan.
Yep. Wow. Interesting. James Wan, what a what a what a brain he's got there. I'm pretty mad at him for malignant. I didn't love that movie. <laughs> it is bizarre, that movie. <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. really weird. I didn't necessarily love Malignant. I think it took some some big swings, uh, but I think overall it's not the best movie. But no. this is much better. I think this is a much better composed movie. Yeah. So what do you? What about you, Seth? What do you think? I thought this movie was refreshing. Uh, it, it it was, you know, entertaining. It's not like the most. It's you know, it's it's not Birdman by any means. It's like, but like for yourself, (laughs) but it's definitely like, it felt, it felt extremely grounded, you know, like it felt like a really long episode of black mirror kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, yeah, I, I, it was funny, but it was also like, at times and, uh, it was enjoyable. Like, yeah, it was a great movie to go see in the theaters. It really was. It really was. The last movie I saw in theaters, I think, was Black Panther. But the one before that was Triangle of Sadness. That was an interesting theater watch. Mm-hmm. This is fun to watch in theaters. And I know, like, I went with two friends. And the stuff that I responded to was completely opposite. Of, like, the thing, like some of the more gory and, like, gr- like, oh, my God kind of moments. I was laughing my ass off. Yeah. I thought it was because it was just so ridiculous. I was like, this is hilarious. I love this. Yeah. And then, like, obviously, the, any of these, like, creepy doll moments were like, oh, God. Oh. Ugh. The way she sleeps? Yeah. Hate that. Hate it. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> you did everything else. You can't make her close her eyes? Oh. <laughs> hated that. No, she needs to be aware at all times. Uh, the uh, dog. No. Like, stuff with the dog, I couldn't handle. I was like, uh. We'll like, talk, oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I had a. So I was very surprised. I thought this movie was going to be garbage, even though the reviews were really good. <laughs> the, the trailers made me think like this movie's going to be dumb. It's going to be dumb, 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 and um, it's going to be just be stupid. And I was like, this is really, really fun. Not only is it fun, it's I think there is something there. And I think like you said, Seth. What's crazy is it's like it's it is out there. They do go for like the like ridiculousness of it all, but like. There is such a rooted element of truth in it that, like, gr- that does make it feel real enough, you know, to like, to like, make you like really take it, not take it seriously per se, but like respect it in a way. Yeah, like, we are not far off from that's yeah this being a reality. Like, we're like ten, maybe twenty years from this being real. So. The- the yeah the the fiction comes i guess in science fiction as it always does like it, it is like out there and way ahead of its time type of thing or maybe not way ahead of its time but ahead of its time but it's so rooted in the way our society and the way like capitalism is today that like it's like it felt real enough close enough to being almost like a in the now type of movie like, really the only suspension of disbelief is that they would just put this thing out without testing it better you know, like, yeah. Like, well, you like, know what? Capitalism, man. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, no comment. Agreed. No comment. <laughs> uh, what did you think, Megan? What did you think of Megan? I um, I agree with you. I thought it was going to be just stupid because that whole 
the dance. All I remember knowing about it before seeing it was that dance because it was everywhere on like Instagram and TikTok. Oh, I still, <laughs> but now that it's in context, I'm like, that's fun. That's goofy. Um, and it was, and I mean this with so much affection, it was a little dumb, but I think it knows that it's silly and it knows like it's in on the joke. Um, and, but it's also like, there are some genuine like little jump scares and it is like a creepy concept. Mm -hmm. And I just had a lot of fun. I, the theater was like pretty full where I was. And it was really nice to be in a theater where everyone was having a good time and they were like clapping and laughing at moments that were a little ridiculous. And, you know, it was just, it felt like a very communal fun. Yeah. I, I liked Yeah, I agree. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I really was. So. Oh, Seth wants to say something. Well, that, that moment with Bulletproof, like, <laughs> was that hysterical. was hysterical. It was really funny. Was I, started, I started laughing out loud as soon as she started seeing that song. I was like, this is crazy. It, it made my heart swell because it was like so fucking dumb, but it worked, you know? Like, it, it was like, I totally 100% buy this you know well, you, you know why it is it's like the reason i think that moment works if we're, i'm gonna break down like on like a, a structural level is like megan there's something off about megan like megan is like so close to you know it's that uncanny valley thing yeah there it, it, she's so close to being human but she like does not have the best social skills and so like she we, we had seen her just kind of break out singing earlier in the movie and it is a little bit awkward but it was more like a lullaby type of thing and then she does this the same thing and she uses bulletproof as like a lullaby as like a soothing thing and it's like it's so perfectly just like slightly off appropriate you know that it yeah. matches her because she is slightly off of human and so yeah. like it's like it perfectly lines up with like oh wow you you think this is like the perfect moment to do this like in her head the math is like sing this song right now <laughs> and as a human you're like you've miscalculated the situation <laughs> don't sing that don't sing it in that way <laughs> but in her head that's like the math says do this now <laughs> and i'm like that's kind of genius <laughs> it's like yeah that's a little bit off yeah oh god damn bullet bullet from and, and you know what it reminded me of you guys seen pitch perfect right yeah. She kind of sings it in the same way that they sing it. It does, yeah. And it's like in that movie, it's like, oh, wow, so cute and so fun. And this movie is like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, stop, please. <laughs> just to hear that song again. I haven't heard that song in like six years. You're bulletproof. Nothing <laughs> We're not allowed to sing it. That's all we can do legally. <laughs> okay, guys. So before we get into what's it about for anybody at home, who needs a reminder of what this movie is, it's time for our special segment. Seth, what time is it? It's Riding with Ricky. Riding with Ricky. Oh, God. It's the best time of day. The music sucks, but that's okay. Because you got to get there anyway. It's Riding with Ricky. Thank you, Seth. Seth, I, thank you, Seth. Seth, I really like that. In the original iteration of, of riding with Ricky, the music you were talking about was my music. And this and, music is and now it's your my music, music sucks. Yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> music suck. sucks. I like that it's changed. I don't suck anymore. I just had that sucks. I just had that realization uh, this week. And <laughs> so I, my new goal with the theme song is to 
write it every week in a different, well, I'll use the same words, but we're going to try to create a new uh, tune every week. That's bad. I love it. I love it. Writing with Ricky. Because the music has to suck. It's in the song. Yeah. <laughs> it has to. It's been predetermined. Can ever be, Seth, it can't ever be good. No. You can't no. let it ever be good. No. All right. So. I have written out the logline here. The way this game works is I've written the logline for Megan or a logline for Megan. And both Seth and Megan are going to score me on a scale of 1 to 10 on how strong they think this logline is. Uh, Using whatever criteria they believe is correct. That could be how well does it describe the film? How intriguing does it make the film? How well does it capture the film's essence? Whatever criteria they so choose. How much it makes me me want Cheetos. Cheetos. Yeah. Hey, whatever criteria you you want, buddy. They're going to score on a scale of 1 to 10, and I'm going to add that into both my yearly uh, score and my overall score. So here is the logline that I have written for Megan. After the tragic death of her parents, Katie is sent to live with her aunt, who, rather than connect with her niece, builds her a life-size doll companion equipped with artificial intelligence. I know it's make it? Oh, go ahead. No. Sorry, no. Go, did it not make you want Cheetos? I no, I do not, not want Cheetos. Oh man. Um, I think it's. Is there was there an allusion at all to the fact that like it's a horror movie? Hmm. Not I'm really. It, I'm giving it a four, Rick. Oh no! I'll do five. I'll do five. Oh no! That's not great, guys. Uh oh. <laughs> Okay, what's that's gonna really hurt me. Okay, let's find out what happens. I'm gonna sum I'm gonna do my average here. It's definitely gonna go down. We'll find out. It's math with Ricky. Math with Ricky. Oh, no more math. No more singing, Seth. I hate you. Uh I, I, I think you could way simplify it. Like like you could way simplify the log line. And yeah, include that it is scary. So it does bring me below an eight for the year. That's a seven point two now, and let's see what it does to my overall average. It's still bring it down a little bit, but not not all that much. Not terrible. No, let's see here. It brings my overall average down to an eight point one as opposed to an eight point three. I think that's fine. All you wow, need that's to my know, worst one so far. I think all you need to know is that it's a scary doll. An AI, yeah. an AI-driven scary doll. That's 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 the that's the law. You know, said better, but <laughs> the concept sells itself. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, scary doll. <laughs> ah, the logline is just. Have you seen Chucky? Yeah, <laughs> it's not Chucky, but it is. I guess it's, it's pretty. It's the it's new close. Chucky. The new Chucky yeah. was an AI thing. The old Chucky yeah. is not. Yeah. Anyway, that was riding with Ricky. I, I apparently I fumbled this one so. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not bulletproof. You're not. <laughs> I have a lot to lose. You make mistakes, you know? You're human. Fire away. Fire away. <laughs> Shoot me down, but I will fall. <laughs> I am Titanium. Anyway, um, let's talk about the movie. Seth, since you uh, – you, pick this movie it's time for you to ask the titular question you can ask either me or megan to go for it first i'm i'm, I'm asking the lady of the hour 
<laughs> Megan, what's your middle name? Jane. Megan Jane Brannon. Oh. <laughs> She's in trouble. Mathrigan. Mathrigan. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? How's it going? What's it about? I think this movie is about the of very simply, I guess, the danger of relying too much on the comfort we get from technology and the way that it interferes with our actual development and relationships. Mm. Understanding of ourselves. Mm. In what way? Explain. <laughs> I. <laughs> what do you mean? She's a robot, and uh-huh. <laughs> and that makes it difficult for her to be a person. Who are you uh, to say she's not a person? I mean, she's a robot. <laughs> they ripped her face off. In the you know? traditional sense, sure. Well, okay. this is a scary road to go down because we're getting into like the philosophy of sentience, which. I don't know if that's where we want to go, but it's true. Well, you know, like that's like honestly in a lot of sci-fi movies, if you know, like I said, we can go down this path since it seems like naturally we kind of got there. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of sci-fi movies, this idea of like what makes something alive, right? At what point is something lit, quote unquote, living, and the boundary is is odd. So like. An AI is aware of its own existence in a lot of ways and is intelligent and can develop what people would say is like simulated emotion. Um, but like no, at no point will someone ever say an AI is a living thing because that's scary to admit that artificial can become, a, a, you know, organic or in a way or, you know, like ethereal. That's the word can, I'm looking for. Can it go the other way? Can organic? Can, yeah, can it go to artificial. And, like, you know, animals and things like that have survival instincts, but they don't necessarily have, like, a sentience of their own mortality and, like, that kind of thing. So it's, like, AIs, in a way, are more aware of themselves than a lot of animals are. So, like, it's, like, who's to say an AI is not alive and an animal is? And is it just purely because AI is is manufactured? What do you guys think? The answer. It's tough because oh, very honestly, big question. Yeah, that's a big question because honestly, here's something that I think about. It's like a lot of people I think would say because it's 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 made it's an artificial intelligence is program. You know, it's code. It's something that's made that there's no way it can ever be alive, quote unquote. But then I think of like, well, then what about like our you know genetically modified food in a way like crops and things like that. A lot of those were made in a lab artificially. Sure, they're they're grown or at least like the building blocks start organic, but it is not a natural thing. But is that like a living plant? We're 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 brushing up on stuff that you and I have, have talked about in the past, Ricky, of like the fringes of of consciousness essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's this is like this is I mean if if Megan if we're if we're getting to what this podcast is about really like this is the closest as we get to the we can possibly get to the lens like 
without ever seeing behind like this yeah i mean like talking about the fringes of consciousness and like that that's why that's why i hold birdman in such high regard it's because it's talking about that that movie's talking about that and i mean in a way this movie is talking about it because it's it's defining trying to define what makes something sentient um I think if you're looking through the perspective of a of a grounded technological world without anything else but the physical, you have like sentience becomes a lot uh, clearer, quicker. Um, I think you can't discount AI as art as. AI becomes sentient much quicker in a world that's not metaphysical. Mm -hmm. So like in the organic world, AI is going to pass us in sentience and, and like quickly, you know? Uh, but if there's something beyond the physical, then that's where we get into like a very, that, like a soul right like right we get into the spiritual conversation yeah. of like what makes something alive is does it have a, a soul mm -hmm. and like what constitutes a soul like where does the soul come from is a soul something that we are inherently born with or is a soul something that can be transferred Created. or developed um and and like i said this is something that like sci-fi movies really bring up because like i mean just talk about star wars like droids Right, we imbue, and I think again, this kind of connects with this movie a lot. We imbue a lot of human and personality traits onto things that aren't humans, mm -hmm. um, and we imbue them with a lot of uh, we anthropomorphize them in a lot of ways. Um, think C three PO, think R two D two, R two D two, C three PO looks like a person at least. It has like a humanoid uh, body shape. R2-D2 is a, is a trash can with wheels. That's his shape. And he's so like, cute, ex, But is he, though? Yeah. But here's the thing. <laughs> if you showed a picture of R2-D2, somebody who's never seen or heard R2-D2 and no concept with it, I'm like, what ways you describe this this thing? I don't know if cute would be I on there. No, no. It's it's what we've imbued in, in, in the personality that R2-D2 has that, you know, is that – sentient or is that programmed and it's like is that real and or is that us mapping human humanity onto something that we that is not a human um and then same with like bb8 and you know and um a lot of these other droids throughout star wars is like we end up loving them and feeling for them the, w the way we do for people and so when those droids get hurt or when they die as we've seen in some of these other star wars movies like it like it legitimately hurts you know, and like, does is that's a question? Is can a soul be manifested First of in all, something? You, okay. This is a this is a good question. I think is do you believe in a soul? Yes. Okay. I do. I personally. do too. I do too. But I don't know. I mean, that's a huge. I would say a huge debate. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah. there's no proof of a soul. You know, 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, <laughs> it's a conversation. Like, it's like either you believe in it or you don't. And there's, mm-hmm. and it's like, it can't down. be proven or disproven yeah. in, in either direction. And also, even if you do believe in it, there's also among people who, who feel that there is the, some people believe it exists, you know, in your body, in your heart. Some people think it's more in your mind. Some people think it's more about your experiences. Like it's very nuanced. Mm-hmm. So, so for, it sounds like the first thing that we're really thinking about here with this movie is like, do we believe kind of, cause this is kind of what Katie believes throughout a lot of the movie is like Katie you know connects and forms a huge attachment to Megan mm-hmm. and and as a parental figure in a lot of way like she's her friend quote unquote but she looks for her to take care of her you know mm-hmm. and so she is looking at her as a as almost like a, a surrogate parent and like is is it possible for for us to either a accept the humanity of something that's artificial or do we just straight up reject it because on the basis solely of like the nature of what is a soul like right is there a del- is there always going to be a delineation of of the soul things of code don't have souls and oh i don't know i'm thinking of two things one that uh maybe she's not human but that this is a new technology. Like this is something that's just mm-hmm. in the span of humanity is relatively new. So is it just a different kind of life? Is mm-hmm. it just a different, like to ascribe human things to it and say like human life or, or, you know, organic life is the only like kind, maybe it's just a definite, a different definition of it. And then you can be like, well, you know, maybe it can have some sort of soul adjacent thing, but is that a replacement for, you know, a human connection? Mm-hmm. You know, you can still think it's valuable and also know that it's not the same thing as a connection person to person. Um, Also, this conversation is reminding me a lot of Frankenstein. And I think that I just want to note that I was like, why is it easier for me to sympathize with Frankenstein than it is with Megan? Because they both like are human like ish. But I think it's because Frankenstein is made of like human parts. So it's easier to be like, well, he has some humanity in him because there's he's made of of the same stuff. Whereas with Megan, it's like, well, she's all metal and wires. And so mm-hmm. she's, I just, think that's. To, 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 to just do a quick tangent on Frankenstein. Frankenstein always fascinated me. If you want to talk about this idea of, of a soul, because mm-hmm. Frankenstein is not one body. Frankenstein is a cobbling together of several mm-hmm. corpses. Yes. Right. And so like when he's brought back to life, Whose soul does he have? Or is he a completely new soul? Right. That's like the the question of like the boat question where it's mm-hmm. like if the you're boat, the, yes. part yes. <laughs> forever and eventually it's all new parts. Is it a new boat or is it the same boat? It's also Which I, cloning. 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 Like does a clone have the same soul as its origin? You know? Like mm-hmm. that's a huge, like that's I would I would assume that's a huge debate in amongst like Christian at like scientific ethicists, you know, like, um, 
Yeah. And I, that's totally I, true. Well, I guess to like go off of both of like this Frankenstein and cloning and AI is like the thing that I always like think about and, and it almost is a little bit hypocritical of me, but like, how can we decide what has a soul or what doesn't have a soul if we don't even understand the nature of where our own souls come from? Like we don't have an inherent nature mm-hmm. of what a soul is and where it comes from. And so who are we to decide what has and what doesn't have one? in a way, um, because we don't even know the nature of our own. I mean, a lot of people would say, you know, again, to take Seth's point, a lot of like probably like Christian and Catholic faiths would be like, no, we know where a soul comes from. It comes from God, right? Um, And then I would argue of like, okay, well, then why can't God imbue a soul into something, you know, an artificial intelligence? You know, why not? Why couldn't he? He could. He absolutely could. Um, So... So I guess that's again, but again, in my heart, I would almost always say, yeah, anything artificially intelligent is like not a, a living thing, as yeah, close I would as say it can get. But 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 again, arguing against myself, almost playing devil's advocate here, of like, but if I don't understand the nature of like what a soul is in the first place, who am I to make that decision? I'm not a, not in any position. Um, right. Did you weird. guys see um, also kind of a tangent? Did you see After Yang, that movie that came out, I think, a year ago, two years ago? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Have you heard of it? Do you know, like, the, the plot? A little bit, yeah, but please, you can you can elaborate. Uh, so that was, that's a really beautiful movie, and this movie reminded me a little bit of it, like, um, but obviously it goes in the opposite direction. So After Yang is with, it's Colin Farrell, it's, like, in the future, but um, not this like hyper futuristic, everything's Chrome world. It's like this very like beautiful, everything's kind of like soft focus and like, it's just a very pretty movie. And it's about, um, they have in this world nannies, basically like robot nannies, but they look very, they look like people. They don't look on Candy Valley like Megan. They look very real. And this little girl's nanny, spoiler, I guess, I think it might be, um, breaks, and they can't really fix it. And so then they try to, there's like still the kind of Megan argument of like, you know, who's, who's raising our children and like, what does that do to us? And how to explain, like, is it death? Cause it was a, a robot, but it also can, it had this relationship with this child and it contains all these memories that they had together. And those experiences kind of created like his, his soul, um, so that's a much more, I don't, I don't know. This one was like a fun version of that. And that's like a very poetic, like much easier to intellectualize. I think, um, I think like at least on the surface, you know, it seems like it's easier to, um, but I highly recommend that movie. It made me think a lot of, of this one. And, yeah. It's one, it's one that's been on my list for a while that I have not gotten to, but that's honestly, if I could, I mean, that's a perfect segue into like my, a little bit, my personal, more personal, uh, experience with Megan, with Thregan. Um, and it, it, a lot of it came, came along with, with parent, a lot of the parenting stuff. Um, uh, because I do work in the realm of childhood development, early childhood development. So I work with children under the age of five, um, on a daily basis and their parents. So parenting is a, and parenting philosophies, um, and again, uh, young children's development is. She's coming for your job, Rick. She's coming for your job. Well, here's and this movie. This movie raises, I think, the the question of a lot of that stuff is like, and like you said, what is raising our kids? And and we live in the technological age. 
right? And parenting in the technological age is different than parenting in any other age before that. And, you know, screen time is, yeah, like the new, a new, you know, buzzword for a lot of people. It's like how much screen time. My phone even tells me how much screen time I've done every week. And I don't even ask it to do that. But it tells me. It's like, you spent this much time on me this week. And I'm like, shut up. No one asked. Yeah, no one asked you. Um, but it, it does change. It fundamentally changes the way your brain works if you're right. raised on technology or if you're not raised on technology. It just does. And so this movie I thought was really interesting in that it taps into not only like this idea of like raising children in this age, but also what the age of technology is doing to socialization. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that really it boiled down to me and, and, and both makes me uncomfortable, but I think is a very interesting thing for me to like explore my personal feelings on is the way what I kind of condensed it down to was if we don't connect with other people, we will ultimately connect with something else and that mm-hmm. may not be as good for us. Yes. And I think that's this movie shows us, you know, Katie her parents die in this this car accident and she's sent to live with her aunt and her aunt is like kind of emotionally distant. Um, she is she also is a person that detaches from humanity in favor of of artificial she's kind of, she's kind of a robot herself. She's a little bit of a robot, right. And I think the movie is tries to play that like this like spectrum of humanity, right? Like Katie is very, very in a very human and vulnerable place. And then you have this human who avoids her emotions and her emotion, you know, doesn't like to engage with her emotions. Relies entirely on technology. Yes. A little bit more robotic of a human being. And then we have a little bit of a human being of a robot coming in and trying to supplant. Right. (laughs) And, and so we see, yeah, we see her avoid help, like connecting with her, her niece who just lost her parents, who's in this extremely vulnerable state. Instead of connecting with her and like comforting her or like checking in on her emotionally, she gives her a, a toy, basically, you know, builds a toy for her that's like, okay, you take care of all the things I don't want to do, which is all the emotional stuff. And then I'll check mm-hmm. in when I want to, which is like never. She never, never. She would prefer not to. Yeah, I'm not even sure she meant to have it take care of all of her emotional stuff. I think she just wanted like a just, she was just like, a distraction. Just like a second. Which is what, you know, that's mm. what technology is. It's just like a little, like, I can't think about where I am right now, or I don't want to, or it's mm. boring. So I'm going to think about this other thing. And, and in doing so, like you said, unintentionally forms an extremely powerful attachment between Megan and Katie. And, mm. even, you know, the therapist brings it up of, like, attachment theory, and that is a real actual, like, childhood development thing of, like, children in vulnerable states will will – strongly attached to things in that it should be a person because that's the healthiest connection that a child can make. But a lot of mm-hmm. times it's not. A lot of times it can be a toy. It can be a, an object. It can be any, yeah. it can really be almost anything. Because when that child is in that vulnerable state, the, it's almost the first thing that provides comfort to them and provides w- what they need is mm-hmm. what they attach to. And it's it's a very natural, natural thing for children to do. And I think this movie, t- I think, taps into this of like, what are we attaching ourselves to? Um, 
and like why? what is that and what why and what is that doing to us right. um because as much as like the internet and social media has been able to connect us to more people like obviously we're we're all, we, none of us are in the same room right now we're all in different cities well i'm in a different city from you too but we're in different houses we're in different cities we're in different time zones you know when i was in the dominican i was in a different country and i was talking to you guys while we were in a different countries so like it makes us accessible to each other but like fundamentally and they've done studies on this the connections you make are not don't activate in the brain the same right as a, a human connection and that was a big conversation in the last few years and i worked in i worked in a magazine for the last couple of years like through covid and i had tons of, it was a business magazine so i had tons of conversations with people in like the corporate world and they all said the same thing when I talked to them because a lot of the stuff was about, you know, how has this affected how you do business? And mm. almost all of them, you know, were saying that it's just a different feeling from being in the, it's, it's less collaborative. It's less, there's something about being in a room with somebody and, and being able to look them in the eye and like energy, you know, like playing off each other's energy or, you know, bumping into someone on the street and that leads to a conversation. It's just like, it's not the same at all. Mm. Um, I, the connection. I would, I'm going to, I'm going to call us out a little bit here. Mm. Uh, and try like, maybe this format for us, I think is easier for people like us. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, like I said, we're still getting to know you, Megan, but for like me and Ricky, this format is easier for an easier environment to open up in because it's there is that buffer there 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 is that uh i don't have to like actually feel your energy in the room as mm -hmm. i'm being vulnerable does, does that make sense it does but it makes me wonder if easier necessarily means you're, it's better like are you still no, no, getting no. as out of it i'm not i'm as not you we're overcoming those things i definitely don't think it's better uh, I just think I just am pointing it out to us yeah. because it has a difference. Yeah. Oh no, I think that's a that's a you know if we're being you know as the show is supposed to be re reflective on this, absolutely. I think, and and to check myself as a as a person here, I definitely talk maybe a slightly bigger game in these conversations than what I go out and apply in my real life, right? And I think that's natural in any kind of like podcast is like what they say in the podcast isn't always necessarily how they behave in their their day-to-day -day life. And, you know, it is a show to an extent, but like, you know, I, I totally agree. I think I'm way more able to, to express things on this show than I would be able to express to a person. Um, yeah. and, and that's right in front of me. Um, because you're right. There's that, there's that energy of that person looking, being in the room with you, looking at you, like having the screen here gives almost like, it's like, may, maybe this isn't even real. This could be not even real. Like I not, I'm looking at you guys on a screen, but you could very well not be actually there. I right? mean, we are no technically way. alone in our rooms talking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. But doesn't it feel different? Because I do, I, I think I'm fairly 
similar, um, obviously not exactly the same in these conversations as I am in every other part of my life, but fairly similar. So if I were to go out and have, you know, conversation like this about pop culture or what I'm dealing with or, you know, myself over dinner with a friend, I have a different feeling when I leave that conversation and that moment than I do when I close my computer after this. And both are good and both feel like, you know, I, I got something out of it and it was it was fun, but it's just a different fits. There's more it feels more like I did something like there's more warmth if I see somebody in person. Exactly. You know? And, and so the, the reason I bring it up again is because I've seen this argument play out in real time of like a parent who's, who's in front of me and the child's freaking out or having a fit. And I've seen the, pull out your phone or pull out their iPad, pull out their thing and put a screen in front of them and watch them completely just zone in. And like, sure, it makes it easier for you to do whatever task you're doing. And like, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad, a bad thing per se. Like, you know, like being able to get things done is important, important for their health, important for their life. Like being able to have a clean house, a clean environment, dinner made, like is important for them too. But and enormous to single parents, mm-hmm. not to interrupt. But I think that's also for sure. They they need a little bit extra help to like be like I need, I need to make them their their lunch. And if mm-hmm. they, they if they're constantly needing my attention, I can't do the other their other basic necessity needs. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's a tool, but it's a tool that can be easily abused, and it's a tool that can be easily overused and and can have can quickly have a a bad effect on kids um Mm. if used in that way of like as a distraction and specifically as a distraction from their emotions i think is the big is the big one it's it's katie's katie's in a vulnerable state she's she's obviously completely distraught and traumatized by her her and i would just a small criticism of the movie in general not like the movie needed to do this. Cause I don't think that's what the movie's focusing on, but I think the more emotional and like genuinely like thought provoking moments of like human, human emotions and the way humans respond to their emotions kind of get pushed to the side. in a lot of these, a lot of this movie, cause again, maybe that's on purpose. Cause that's kind of what the movie is about. It's like pushing these emotions aside for the entertainment. I'm, I am ready for my fame glean. Go ahead, man. If uh, because I feel like this is bumping up against it. So, and this is where I think it it for me, and I I don't want to assume, but uh, this is where it will turn introspective. I think mm-hmm. um, this movie to me, the big thing is about control and controlling your emotions, controlling your environment and allow like technology is just the means in the film to gain control. Right. And I mean, it really is highlighted like, like a a further step back from that slightly is like, it's kind of showing how millennials are ill ill equipped to be parents in a lot of ways. Like it's, it's like you have to be okay with chaos in order to be a parent mm-hmm. uh, and there's just no way you can get around all of 
to things you can't control. I mean, you might die, you know, like you might get hit by a snow truck. Uh, and so I, I, I think for me, this film is about what we use in our lives to make us feel like we have control, but really that stuff is controlling us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, control. And I think um, a similar aspect to that is safety, this false feeling of safety. And in order to be a parent, you have to eventually come to terms with the fact that you're not, the world isn't safe. And being able to distract yourself and feel like you have control over something gives you a false sense of safety. I, I, absolutely. And and coming from, you know, something that I bring up on the show a lot and something that Seth, Seth always likes to remind me of, and that's fair, is I'm a very hyper-aware person when it comes to controlling my emotions, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people see that as like me being very patient. A lot of people see that as me being very repressed. I present a very positive and sunny disposition almost, I would say, like 98% of the time. And... And because I'm so in control of, of my emotions most of the time, which can be both a good thing and a bad thing in a lot of ways. Like, sure, you don't want to be somebody who doesn't have any control over their emotions. Like, that's not cool. Like, that's bad, too. Yeah. But you also don't want to be a person that, like, represses how they feel constantly um, right. because they're afraid of their emotions. That's not good either. And I think so kind of talking about Seth is, like, we and specifically, particularly with children, I think this is very true, because children have no regulation of their emotions, right. right? They throw, they they feel things, they feel they have big feelings, and they don't have any way to process them, and so they come out in fits, in crying, in sometimes kids will just instinctively hit, hit and push because it's just it's a, a survival instinct, and they don't ha- know how to like be like wait, <laughs> and grab that emotion and be like hold on a second, they don't right. have it. And so parents are trying to learn how to get their children to contain themselves. And that's not necessarily fair. Well, that's kind of like, that's like the next kind of level of this control thing. It's like, and it, it, I mean, so damn it, my brain. So I'm not going to go all the way up to the lens, but I'm going to go one step behind the lens. Okay. And so this movie is also about inner child. So like it's, it's about control. And then it's also about controlling your inner child and what we use to control that inner child, which is essentially the inner child, in my opinion, is the main line to the soul, which would be like bumping up against the lens, but we're not going to go there because I would rather talk about us than philosophy. But like, so this movie is tapping into the things that happened to you as a kid, like death of a parent, that that have caused you to control that inner child, to box that inner child in, and you know, not like rainbow dolphins. Like <laughs> people have different reactions though. I didn't box my inner child in. I let her have too much too much control. You let, your, Which is, you let your inner child have too much control? 
let that immediate that first reaction, that like feeling of of fear and stuff. I let I or in the past, I I'm not like pressing that down. I'm like, oh, I feel this right now, and it's only through like tracking it back to to what Ricky was saying. Um, you know, I think both with parenting yourself and your inner child and actual parenting, you a child is going to like feel what they feel and they don't know how to process it. And you have to figure out how to address that. And I think it's just being like, I understand why you feel that way. I understand. And when you're doing like self-parenting work to like talk to your inner child and be like, what you're feeling makes sense. And this is where it's coming from. And that's completely reasonable, but it's not necessarily the appropriate reaction. There's, you know, you have to be more like to validate, but then to, you know, kind of calm down. Right. It, it, the big thing that I try and talk to parents about, because like, again, parenting is so complicated these days, not just because of technology, but because there's so many parenting experts around and everybody says that there's a different way to parent. Like there's, there's tiger moms, there's free range parenting, there's, there's all this and everything in between those two things, either having hyper control or letting your child live in whatever way they want. And then you get to make all their decisions like the, the, everything and everything in between. Right. Mm-hmm. And so many experts will tell you how, how whatever way you're choosing the parent is going to mess up your kid. And, and the thing that I try and, and instill in parents is like, look, like the best you can do is you can, ra- you can raise them. You can love them. And like, no matter what, Children internalize things that you don't even realize. You're going to mm-hmm. like one time like get upset that they did something and they're going to internalize that. And like even if like later you like apologize or like you talk to them about it or decompress that, like that's our – things that we, happen to us as children, traumas and things like that, even though they may not seem traumatic to adults, children internalize. And it's, it ingrains in them somewhere for some reason. That's how our brains work. It's just the cost of entry to being a person. Yeah. Like, and you're going to have to accept that you're going to give your kids some stuff that they're going to have to work through later. Right. And, and, that, and, that, and so, what I say to parents is like, look, you can't control what your children are going to latch on to, what lessons they're going to learn from things. They may have an experience and you think that that's a good lesson that they can learn. They may learn the long, wrong lesson from that. Like, uh, you know, the whole idea of like, oh, let a child touch the hot stove because then they'll learn that that's hot, not touch that again. It's like that's a kind of – I can get that there's a lesson in that of like you learn from your mistakes kind of thing. But like also like then your child may learn that A, the world is very unsafe and B, no one's going to be there to help protect them. Yeah. No one's you know? going no to like- – Someone's going to let them do bad things so that <laughs> they have to learn themselves. And like that's like – they may learn a long lesson from what you think is a good lesson. You cannot yeah. control what children internalize. And the only thing you can do for your children, again – is validate them, tell them how much you love them, but build, help them build in healthy coping mechanisms so that when things do trigger them or whatever issues that they may have growing up, they can process them in the in the correct way and understand where those things are coming from and be able to make the best decision they can at the time. But if they make the wrong decision, also have the ability to forgive themselves for not being perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, you can have the healthiest coping mechanisms in the world. Doesn't mean you're going to do it right every time. Right. There's a difference between the right and the real. Yeah. Right. And right. I, I say that because, like, 
this is the balance of this podcast is like in what we're trying to do, right? Like we're sitting here intellectualizing, but, and we might have the right answers, but are they the real answers? I, I don't know. I don't know what those so are. You're saying we're... Uh, because we're intellectualizing right. a movie that ends the robot fight. And I think that's lovely. <laughs> well, that's what the thing is. is like, it's like we we imbue and we have emotional reactions to everything like inside anytime we watch a movie in anytime we watch even anytime we just go out of our house we well i think we that's emotionally like react to things and like there is a reason why we react the way we react and there that could be deep down inside subconscious to to any number of factors and it's like you have to look at why you you react to what you I, react to I would argue the reason why people like us like movies is because we don't want to have to deal with the real emotions mm -hmm. like like I disagree. You disagree. <laughs> I mean I, I enjoy the ride of I, I, okay let me let me I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step back slightly but we enjoy the ride of the film it is an escape but it's easier to watch a movie than to live your life you know like it's easier to it's easier to sit down and, and consume media and have emotional experiences than to actually go out in the world and have those emotional experiences. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Bye, Sarah. Bye. She um, can't hear us. Yeah. She got headphones in. My coffee. I love it. That's sweet. I um, go ahead, Megan. I was just going to say, I agree. It's easier to, you know, that's the escapism of any of these things, of books, of, you know, Magic the Gathering, of, of movies. <gasps> How dare you. But for me, I, some movies are, yeah, absolutely escapism. And some, I don't, I grew up watching movies. It's how I bonded with so many people. It's how I learned to understand people, um, you know, and I didn't, wasn't a very worldly child. So like, I understood my immediate, like the people immediately around me, but movies were more than an escape. They were like kind of a, a way to dive deeper into those feelings and the humanity of it. And that's what they're like a catharsis and they're a exploration. So I think there are movies that are designed for both. It's, um, but they were important to, I agree that it is a safe way to explore them, mm -hmm. but I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you, Megan, because I, I, I don't know. I can only speak for myself, you know, but I'm, I'm a terrified human. I, mm -hmm. I am a very like terrified person. I I'm afraid of, of everything, you know, I'm afraid of being alive and I'm afraid of dying. Like I, uh, I mean, a perfect example is because we're getting to know you, I was afraid to make a dumb joke on this podcast and I'm still thinking about it. Hmm. And like I made the joke in front of 40 people last night, but I was ready, you know, like, but like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, what I'm trying to get at here, I'm, I'm trying to crack in like this, this podcast is about our emotions and being honest. My emotions. <laughs> um, and, yes. And I don't, I don't want us to be robots. That's my, that's, that's, 
that is my that is my theme glean. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Seth, to 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 uh, connect with me, you on this. Help yes. me. No, to connect with you on this, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> I'm going to connect with you on this. I think for me, movies are both. Like they can be an escape. I do sit in my room by myself and watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies, and it is a way of me sometimes a tool as we talked about with like the way parents use technology as a tool. It is a tool for me to like not, you know, maybe not work on a monologue or, or work on a dialect or put myself out there socially. I would, you know, I might sit and watch a movie as a way of like avoiding whatever it is in my life that I should probably do. And getting health insurance is the big one right now. Like avoiding going to the doctor to get a checkup. So, so I can get health insurance. Like that's a big one. Because there is a fear of living your life and the consequences of all your choices up to this point. That's scary. But also, I think to Megan's point, for me, a lot of times, being, being as you know, the, this person that does tend to really repress how I feel about things to, to make myself a more amenable person, these feelings sometimes get forgotten. Like I'll repress them and then I won't go go back to them and they'll get internalized and forgotten. Movies, when I watch them, help bring them back. And like, oh yeah, you felt a way about a thing. And now it's 10 times stronger because you've bottled it up and you've made it so dense and powerful. You've compacted it so much that it now when it hits you, it kind of comes out stronger than if you would have processed it originally. And so for me, movies are both. They do allow me to escape, but while escaping, that movie will poke me in a spot and I'll be like, oh, that's something I didn't I didn't I never decompressed or processed at all that I really need to think about. Um, but then I'll watch another movie and try and avoid it, but then it'll happen again. <laughs> and what's I think what I like about this podcast is this podcast, well, yes, is like we're watching movies and it is escape. It is a movie. it's like, no, watch movies mindfully. Look at why something affects you and think about it. Why does it affect you? So uh, to get per- more personal, you know, we, we t- you touched on it a little bit. The, the dog attack really is something that that triggered me, to be honest. Um, as we talked about, I think maybe last time or the time before, um, I was attacked by a dog when I was five and it was a pretty nasty attack. It, uh, I had to have reconstructive surgery on my face. It, you know, I was only five years old. It was... It potentially could have been fatal, but it, luckily it wasn't. Um, but, you know, it it did traumatize me. I was five. At that point, obviously potty trained. I wasn't in diapers or pull-ups anymore. But after that dog attack, I ended up starting to wet the bed again um, when I was that young. And I had to, like, start wearing pull-ups to bed again. And there was, like, a lot of shame in, in that and things like that. And um, And – when this, that happened in the movie, I felt myself get extremely uncomfortable because it felt so viscerally real to me. This like when she, the dog attacks her and this the sounds and the way it moved. And then the same thing when it happened to Megan, mm. it, even more so because that was, you know, Katie, luckily it just got her arm and that was one thing. But Megan, it was attacking her neck and her head. And that was very much more of what my experience was. Yeah. Um and so I was extremely triggered by that. And like throughout the movie, it made me think of that as like, you know, my parents aren't dead, but that is a childhood trauma of mine that, that 
affects the way I, I move through the world is something that I internalized is Seth put it one way and, and, and he's like, you're afraid the world is going to tear your face off. As when you let your guard down, I, the world's going to try and come, come for you. You, the only, okay. The only thing I want to say, I, I'm listening, I'm hearing everything you're saying affected mm-hmm. by it, but I do want to say, you say Seth says a lot. <laughs> it's it's like Simon here. says. I hope people don't think I'm like gaslighting you. No, I think it's like armchair psychology, you know? No, something that a friend of the show, Ronnie Page, brought up to me after she did the show. She's like, I really enjoyed the show. I really liked it. She's like, but something that that I think I would love to hear you guys do more sometimes is like see each other more. Mm. It's like whenever somebody is bumping up against something, but maybe is holding back. The other person being like, I can see what you're, I can see what's going on right now. Do you want to like, you know, kind of a, through the screen and less being like, this is like a little bit of a step of, of buffering between us. Try and go through that a little bit more. And that's, and, I mean, that's truthfully what I was trying to do with this movie. That's, that's yes. And with that's Megan. what I'm saying that you do a lot with me though. I'm saying you do, I'm saying this is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, but I'm scared, to do it. I'm scared to do it with Megan. Because we, we're still learning, <laughs> we're still getting to know her. Yeah, but like the intention, the intention of this movie is to create a, a a window or a door, a sliver, to Megan's vulnerability, and that's a weird thing to say. Like that's a that's like a scary thing to say, uh, right? Uh, because I don't want to make you be vulnerable. Well, I think my vulnerability. Well, I. I feel like we've moved really far away from Ricky's thing. No, no, no. Go I, ahead. <laughs> I was I was just saying that like I recognize that my childhood trauma come came up while I was watching this movie and while a child was being traumatized. Right. You know, yeah. and and I saw how the movie is like try to cover it up. Hey, like I hope you're okay. Like but like we have this thing that we need to do. You don't have to, but like many people yeah. will be disappointed and like Katie having to like push it down. And then mm-hmm. it came up and again she was distracted because Megan's Mathrigan's objective is to not have her feel any kind of pain physical or emotional. But then it came out later in the room. But then, but then she tried to she brushed it away again, and with this whole like, oh look at this like robot can be emotionally supportive too, and now like parents don't need to do anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. It just rang so true to me in a lot of ways because I mm-hmm. never went to therapy as a child to like process that trauma. I just kind of had to like get through it. Um, mm-hmm. Not that like, not not to like blame my parents for that or anything because it's not like I like. I didn't make it seem like I needed therapy. Like yeah. I, I, I buried it and it looked like I was okay. Other than the, obviously the bedwetting, but like, again, got through that too and just kind of moved, moved on. And like, it never really got truly dealt with. If that makes right. sense. And I think, I think we're all around the same age. Ricky, how old are you? 31. 31. Okay. I'm 28. So I think we're coming into a different time where it's totally, it's like encouraged to talk about these things, you know, all the time, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, when we were kids, it wasn't really, I mean, at least not for me, at least not in my community, in my like lower middle class. Like it wasn't like, 
and we're going to get you a therapist. Like that was not a thing that was an option. So if stuff happened, it was like, that sucks. And you just got to keep going and like, you know, rub some dirt on it, brush it off. That's been all of humanity until like now. <laughs> well, that's why I think the movement's so big now is because like yeah. our specifically our generation is like budding was budding up against this like, hey, aren't we noticing that we have all kinds of problems because we haven't dealt with a lot of stuff from, from our, especially emotionally. And it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. And so now like millennial, obviously millennials and Gen Xers are really into therapy, really into, like you said, expressing themselves emotionally and, and processing their emotions, which has then trickled down and through like Gen Z, you know, being yeah. super into that kind of culture. It's all cyclical. The good part of technology is that, you know, I feel like it started with that people would make jokes about stuff online and then everyone was like, oh my God, that's a universal thing. Mm. And that still happens. Like really stuff that seems really niche and you're like, oh, that's like really specific and you feel seen and you feel heard, which is great. And then the danger of it is that you're like, well, that's all the the vulnerability and the, the feeling seen that I need for today. I'm going to put my phone down, not think about it. So there's, um, there's danger to it too. But and not to say that my family wasn't, I mean, my mom luckily is a bit, well, luckily and not luckily, a very sensitive person, which means she could understand when I was very sensitive. So even though therapy wasn't an option, I usually felt like I could express myself, um, which was great. And I think I'm just already a very emotional person. So it was just like a mix of those two things paying off. But it wasn't until I was older that I, I don't know, the stuff we were talking about with kind of relying on technology when you're growing up. I watched so many movies when I was a kid. It wasn't like iPads, but it was like constantly in front of a screen. Not constantly, but, you know, my mom was a single mom. We all talked about movies all the time. It was just kind of like, you know, you eat dinner while you watch TV and you watch movies every night. And that was the, the whole thing. And so I think growing up and now that I'm older, my like attachment style and the things I'm learning about myself in relationships is that uh, maybe when I was a kid having a, a single mother who had to work a lot and even when she was there, maybe wasn't as present as she intended to be, um, even though, you know, I, I didn't realize that that was affecting me at all because I was like, well, she's doing her best and she's here and I feel like she, I just could see that she was doing her best and I felt, I felt mostly seen, but I think there was definitely a part that was like, even when she was in the room, kids pick up on when you're preoccupied to your point earlier, Ricky, kids see stuff, even when you think you're doing a really good job of not like we pick up on vibes, mm -hmm. you know, on energies and on subtext a lot easier than I think people realize and then you internalize that and that becomes how you function in the world forever until you like start to address it. Um, I can't remember how I got here, but Seth, is that vulnerable enough? <laughs> I'm not, I, I feel like an asshole, uh, kind of, but, uh, why? Why? It, it's, it's a comp, it's complex. It's complex. Um, I don't want to force vulnerability is not good. That's bullying, mm -mm. you know? So I don't want to bully you. I'm not trying to bully you. That's not, that's not what I'm, I'm trying to do, but I am, what I am trying to do is I am trying to stand up for the integrity of what we're trying to do with this podcast. 
Um, and not that we've lost it. I just been reinforcing it. And, and I, yes, it was, I mean, it, thank you first, <laughs> like, thank you. I mean, what you're saying, what you're saying is movies are your blankie. Yeah. And that makes, that makes me, it makes me happy that we can do this with you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is a very complicated, I mean, I mean, if this takes off, if this podcast takes off, it's scary. It's, it's a very scary thing. Um, because if we maintain the integrity of this podcast, we are continually showing our flaws to our audience and hoping that they don't judge us, but they're going to, you know, and like that, that's something that, I, that hit me this week is, you know, like I have the best intentions on this podcast and sometimes I misspeak. Sometimes I say things the wrong way or like last week when I was trying to convey uh, about Thelma and Louise um, that unfortunately people have to be afraid of sexual assault. I said that the wrong way. Like we ended up talking about it and getting to my meaning, but there is like for us to be speaking, we are making ourselves vulnerable, you know, and expressing our thoughts. And like, that's for me, very terrifying. Yes, I understand that. I think there, there is, if you're putting it in a certain medium where other people, yes, have the the opportunity to judge, I think you also have the, I don't want to say respond, like the responsibility to, not to say that like, we can check each other. You know what I mean? We have different, and you being vulnerable and saying that, like that wasn't just me being like, well, we can't say it this way because, but like personally, I don't like it being said that way. So to be vulnerable in a space, I think there's that back and forth. That's the major reason why we brought you on is. Right. And sorry. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, yes, that's, that's, that's why we need you. We need to be checked in those moments. Hmm. We need to be checked in those moments. Yes. And there's going to be more of those moments. Hmm. And that's scary <laughs> because it's, it's like, for me, this is a, this is like my journey on this podcast is about being confident enough to believe in what believe in myself and believe what I have to say it has value. And, um, because I've judged my thoughts my whole life. You know, and and that's because of trauma from my childhood that makes me not be able to no, trust trust my environment is going to be okay, and mm. uh, and tr- even trust that even trust that like my own actions are 
good and right, you know? And so like, I constantly doubt everything, like literally everything. And so, so trying to like, even come to my own thought conclusions can be intense. I, I hyper overthink everything just like I'm doing right now. Well, um, Seth, if you know, I can't necessarily speak for Megan, but I think as far as the show goes, um, you know, we're coming into each episode knowing that that we are exposing ourselves. We are basically opening up a door directly to our trauma and to our inner child's, you know, yeah. making ourselves very vulnerable. And like, we we all three of us know that. That's what we've signed up for in doing this show and in creating this show. And this so, is not a film podcast, right? And so, you, I think, you can trust us to not judge you if you say something the wrong way. And like, like Megan was saying, it's each of us has an onus to each other to be like, Hey, let me like help you verbalize this in the way that I think you are wanting to. And like she she said, check each other and be like, Hey, like, is that what you mean? Or like, what exactly is going on there? Like, let's like talk through that. So, you know, we're going to help because we are being vulnerable. We're going to help protect each other as well, you know? And so, yeah, it's, um, I'm unmasking on this show. Like this is yeah. this is me trying to publicly unmask, which is, and what I've learned through my therapy is that my whole personality is built on masks. Like, mm-hmm. like I have literally studied how to make my masks better my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I am like talking about this, I'm shaking because it's like difficult for me to even know who Seth is, you know? Mm. So like, you know, I have like core feelings that I can latch onto that I, I love about myself. Like, I know I don't want to hurt anybody. Like that's like a hundred percent honest and, you know, and that's why it makes this podcast so scary is like, I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm going to say something to hurt somebody and, and I don't want to do that. Our producer's upset about it. (laughs) I I want to second what Ricky said. Um, This is a safe place. And I feel like when, and I'm sure, you know, Ricky, and, and if someone were to do this to me, you know, I don't know every experience. I don't know a certain thing. If a certain thing that I say, well, to me, it's like the best way to express myself in that moment. If it's something that, trigger someone else's thing. I would want that to be brought up, but I would also want to know that that person knew that I had good intentions. And I feel like we all know that about each other. Mm. So if I, you know, I'm like, well, maybe that's not the best way to say that or, or whatever happens. I think it's to, at least for me, I'm trying to make it easier for you to express yourself or, or make it less likely that you're misunderstood. And I would want someone to do the same thing for me. Um, because, you know, it is really scary to just, you know, talk without a filter. And and to I think also to your point about feeling really grounded in your thoughts and your feelings, I think that's a really, you know, important journey to go on to be able to, like, be firm in what you think. And I think a part of that is, you know, listening to sort of like flushing them out through those discussions and hearing someone say, well, 
you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but maybe like, you know, chisel it a little bit to like better explain what you're, what you're saying. And I would never want to be like, you know, this is what you mean, but I do think there's a lot of value in the back and forth to kind of refining what you mean and making mm-hmm. it easier for other people to understand. And it is, it's a scary thing. It's a scary, the world's a scary place to yeah. say anything on and, record. And feelings are complicated. They're, they're tangled in so many different sources and our emotions are, are not, meant to be easily verbalized, you know, especially the ones rooted deep, deep, deep down in there that we don't even know where they come from. Like those are not meant to be so easily expressed and and put into Mm -hmm. words. And so like Seth, you can feel comfortable in like trying to find them, right? Like, like, like means and like, like say them and then be like, but that's not really it. Let me like really dig down and break through to see what is really at the center of what I'm feeling and what my thought is like, it's okay to not have it fully verbalized. Right. I think that's something honestly that I struggle with is sometimes I need to, I do need to boil it down to, to exactly what I think I mean. And that's probably not ever actually what's, what is really, it probably is more to, to uncover in what's Mm -hmm. underneath that. And I think sometimes I'll find the easiest or find a, good concise way to say something and then I'll leave it at that and maybe not dig down deeper. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. That's refined enough. And it might not be. I, I just had a thought, which is maybe funny, maybe not, <laughs> but, uh, and I, and like, again, I can only speak for myself, but maybe I picked this movie, Megan, because I'm scared of you. Oh God. Oh no, <laughs> not, not in the same way, hopefully. I mean, I hope not. But I, I'm like, yeah. I don't dance like that. Yeah. I very rarely rip people. Only because off. you haven't tried. Right, that's true. No, I think, but I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I think, um, also, honestly, like the gender difference. Like we have very different experiences, and men and women, and you know, you know, non-binary people communicating across those different experiences can get a little confusing, and you really worry about offending someone. So I think there's a level of that. I think I am, I'm in a very similar way, I think, hyper aware of what I'm saying and I'm overthinking it all the time. And I, I feel like I say like the same thing in four different ways because I'm trying so hard to get to the crux of what I'm saying. And that might come off as me not being vulnerable, but it's me trying to get to like the most vulnerable, most true thing that I want to say. So I think it may read to you like I'm not but I'm, I'm really just parsing through all of my own thoughts very carefully so that I express myself. I, 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 I want to say that you're doing everything right. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> that's not what I, I wasn't that's, looking for. That's that. not what I like. I, I, I really, that is why I picked this movie is because I like, I'm scared of you and I'm not, not. Well, I'm so. Well, I mean, this is a major. I mean, I, I, I said this kind of to you this week. Like, you're now in an inner circle that is very small mm. for me. Like, Ricky is probably knows more about me than anybody, other than Sarah. Yeah. And we've just invited somebody. Like I said that I've had like six conversations with in full 
to be here, which is very impressive on your part that we we can <laughs> believe, like we see that you're intelligent enough and and like you have the thing that we we love about loving movies. Um, so, but it is scary, you know, cause like, and, and, and I'm literally trying to take a hammer to this problem with this episode and, and it's, and it's, uh, it's me trying to say, okay, all right, Rick, we gotta fucking, we gotta talk about magic sometimes. <laughs> Like, you know, like, like we gotta, we gotta like get over the hump of, of like our own insecurities regarding a person that we don't know very well and, and allow ourselves to get to know them. And well, that's, the thing. yeah, that's the thing too. The fact that I, I'm brand new to Ricky, like <laughs> I knew, I knew you before I came on the podcast at all. So it's just going to take some time. I'm, it's not going to be as like immediately. But I'm impatient. Yeah. I'm very, I'm a very impatient person. You know, every episode you unravel a little bit more. I'm learning more about you. You're learning more about me. It's not going to be like, I can't, I, as much as I would love to, I cannot use um, M3GAN as an outlet for all of my stuff. <laughs> but 3GAN. I know it's shocking. <laughs> I can't like, I love it. unload all of my stuff with this movie. It just, it's, it'll, no, you know. But that's what I'm saying no. is I don't want you to. I have come to the realization that this movie was about me, not, mm. not, not about you. Isn't it always I, though? I mean, like any, any movie that we pick, we can, you know, we can, again, we can find a, a, a justification as to why we're picking that movie and this and that. But truthfully, there's an emotional reason why you're like, yeah, that movie. But that okay, right. hold on. I gotta, I gotta jump off this trampoline real quick. But that's uh, that's what we're that's what this is about. In exactly. that seeing you and me, and seeing me and you, and knowing that we are us. Like this is a Beatles song. You're writing a Beatles song. <laughs> I mean, kind of. But like, I'm just saying, like, what I hope this podcast puts forth is a like seeing ourselves in each other, knowing that we are different, but knowing that we are tied together through this experience and, and movies are a good way to at least start the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and to our credit today, I think something that Mithrigan is about to, you know, to bring it all back kind of full circle here is this idea of connection, human connection. And like, piercing through the distractions and the things that that try and get in between human connection right technology other other trauma other parts of life that looks to wedge itself in between connecting with people it's so mm -hmm. easy to expand that gap and to attach to other things as opposed to really 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 working hard and overcoming the limitations of our environment and our trauma to connect with each other yeah and i wanted to touch on i think this ties back to that there's a moment in the movie that i definitely was like oh that that feels like a big a big thing where she's talking about how you know megan knows everything in the world but she still thinks that what i have to say and think is important is the most important and that's why technology is so seductive because like this is like this platform whatever it is instagram or wherever we're we're on i'm just usually on instagram mm -hmm. Um, it's like everyone has access to everything all the time, but like they care about what like I think and I'm saying and 
that's such a, a seductive feeling, but it's not real. Mm. Um, so it's much scarier to be that vulnerable and be genuinely vulnerable in a space where you have to trust that the person is listening. You have to trust that they aren't going to misconstrue what you say. That's much scarier, but it's more rewarding. Absolutely. And, and another thing that, that Megan, that Megan says that really, I think it's to a lot of, a lot of this is Megan says that like you made me and then you left me alone. You let me, you didn't put any protections in for me. You didn't, you know, Megan is Gemma, the aunt's baby. She is her child in a lot of ways. And she didn't even protect her own child in a way. She's like, okay, go do your thing and not put any way of Megan protecting herself from anything. And Megan says, you basically, she's like, you neglected me. You let me, made me fend for myself to learn all these things that I had no business in exploring. You did not protect me. And this is where I'm at now. Right. And this, especially cause Megan's connected to the internet. Like, you know, it's, the things that you can discover out there are scary and traumatizing. And we see that through neglect and through, through Gemma not connecting with both her, her niece, her actual flesh and blood niece and her, you know, pseudo child, Megan kind of just disconnecting from them both had drastic dire consequences a lot of people died i don't think anybody talks about this uh, uh gemma's going to jail yeah for sure. oh yeah probably. she's gonna get sued so many people are dead because of her she's gonna get sued katie's going to her grandparents in florida and that unravels a whole nother conversation about the culpability of the people who create these platforms yeah. and these things for people to use for well granted it wasn't someone using it for for bad it was just it turning bad itself well, again it's it, you know to like not go into a whole nother tangent but like capitalism being like we don't care like we just want to get it out as fast as possible so we can make all this money like the the, right. the, the money being the motive the consumerism being the motivation and not the mental health of the people that it's going to be affecting mental and physical health of yeah. the people that we've created a world where we don't know how to like handle the repercussions it's of that it. again it's that dehumanization that disconnection of a corporation that is ran by people, not ran by robots, but how robotic do they become in looking at things mm. as numbers, as money, as ones and zeros, right? Pharmaceutical and, companies. Exactly. Um, but that's, again, that's a conversation for a whole nother time. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think all that it's built into this idea of like, it's really easy for us to disconnect from each other. Like there's so many things that can get us to do that. And this show, and I think what Seth was really getting to as we kind of are getting into a more casual way of talking about it um is about piercing through all that that shit <laughs> and trying but it's hard it's thick and it's and it's it's deep so like mm. getting through there sometimes i think can be a little bit has to be a little bit piercing and and again i think i respect and trust both of you to do that for me in a safe way that's not gonna hurt me and i hope that you both trust and respect me enough to do this to do the same mm. Yes. Hey, amen. Amen. Here, amen. here. And I, and I think that's a good place for us to end our conversation about Mithrigan today. I just like saying Mithrigan. It's just so much fun. It's fun. Mithrigan. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening to our discussion about Megan. Uh, and thank you all for watching. Um, it's time to talk about what's next. And it is my turn to pick yeah. what's next. 
Um, I'm nervous. Why? I don't know. Well, last time it was like, it was Megan. <laughs> well, we're going to be watching another movie about Megan. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no. What's one of your personal fears? We're going to watch a movie about that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, maybe. I don't know. Again, I don't know you that well. Maybe this is a personal fear. So there's a new movie coming out called Missing. Um, it's coming out this week. It's a it's an anthological sequel to a 2019 thriller called Searching. Uh, uh, it stars uh, John Cho. Um, talking about technology, it takes place in the within the screen of like a laptop for the whole movie. The whole movie is shot as if it's like the desktop of a laptop. Um, so uh, we're going to be watching Searching. Um, that is our film for next week. Uh, so I, I guess neither of you have seen Searching. I have not. Ah. I have. Wait, I have. You have. I watched. I have. I watched it on a plane uh, in twenty. It must have been twenty nineteen. The only thing I remember about it is I was sitting next to my friend, and because it's all on a computer screen, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a scene where it's a, a screensaver. There's like a, a scene where it's and my friend looked over and thought I was just watching a screensaver. <laughs> That's all I remember about this movie. Are you watching a screen? No, no, no. It's a movie. This is an eight-hour flight. You're insane. So funny. That's funny. Uh, so yes, if you want to watch uh, Searching Along with us, uh, you can uh, check out Searching on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Vudu, and Google Play with subscriptions. Or you can uh, 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 watch it for free with ads on the Roku channel. So those are the ways you can get access to uh, Searching if you have any of those platforms. So – uh, that is our show for today. Seth, why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Birdie Word. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. Um, Seth Adam Crow on Instagram, or you can go to my website at SethCrow.com. All right, thank always you, Seth. always Crow with an E. Always Crow with an E. Always Crow with an E. All right, thank you, Seth and Megan. Go ahead and shout yourself out. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Megan underscore Jane 61. That's M three G A. She changed it. <laughs> it's M E A G H A N. Um, yeah, I'm there too much. Okay. Uh, I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find this show, the What's It About Film Podcast. Uh, We have new episodes coming out every Friday morning on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you get podcasts. Uh, And you can find our social media for the podcast on Twitter at WeaPodWhat. That is W-I-A PodWhat. Uh, Instagram at What's It About Podcast. And TikTok at What's It About Pod. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you again next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.